Oh, what a blessing. I'm conscious that many of you will know that immediately after our second Bible reading today, there is um, a reference to, there is the story of Anna, uh, a prophetess. Uh, Anna, like Simeon, was devout and was looking for the redemption of Israel. And Anna deserves our attention. It makes a good sermon to look at uh, Simeon and Anna together, or to look at Anna alone. But if I did that, I would probably skate over the line that has been particularly troubling me. Troublingly both by what it means and what it says to me about the year that lies ahead and how we might prepare for it. The line is Simeon's last words to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And a sword will pierce your heart. Dare I utter those words to you? Well, I'm not a prophet, but it seems to me that Luke brilliantly and shockingly presents the tension that is within the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a beautiful picture of a faithful old man, happy and content that he has now seen the one who would bring God's salvation to his people. And then there is a warning of the conflict that Jesus would cause. Somehow Mary and we have to live with that tension. We live in a world that is largely okay with silly old people hanging on to their vain hopes. But a lot of people definitely do not want Christians causing trouble by talking about Jesus' ethics or his divinity or his exclusive offer of salvation. Simeon's Song of Salvation has been built into many services over many centuries. These words that trouble me have not. It's lovely to think of an old man, described by Luke as righteous and devout, waiting for news of the Messiah, the Christ, the Saviour of Israel. We can be warmed by the thought of this man waiting to feel the Holy Spirit moving within him and leading him to the temple court in Jerusalem to see the baby Jesus and utter these words. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Jesus had been presented for circumcision on the eighth day in accordance with the Jewish law, a useful reminder to us that our Lord is a Jew, and that is divisive enough in this world. And after 40 days, both Mary and Joseph presented themselves in Jerusalem for the ritual purification following childbirth. This was often reserved only for women, but as Joseph had been present at the birth, he too may have needed ritual purification. And they presented Jesus for consecration to the Lord. A rich person was expected uh, to offer a lamb and a turtle dove, but the rules permitted people of more modest wealth to offer two birds, as Mary and Joseph did. We're not told that Simeon was an old man, but we assume that as he was contemplating death and had been told to hang on, uh, that he was. 
He was in Jerusalem. We're told he was righteous and devout. So we know that both his character and practice of worship, they matched one another. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Devout people had been waiting a long time. We may think of the promises made through prophets like Isaiah and Zechariah, but the wait started way back with Adam and Eve, when God had promised that an offspring of a woman would crush the head of Satan. And that warm, squirmy thing in his arms was going to be that salvation. The consolation was to come with the Messiah or Christ, they mean the same thing, who would bring salvation to Israel. A righteous and devout person like Simeon knew Israel needed salvation. It had been in rebellion against God since the time of Adam and Eve and had suffered. Now it was under brutal Roman rule. God had been patient and had promised a king in the line of David who would rule forever And Jesus was in the line of David, and he would be the king, the Christ, who would rule forever. Simeon knew the story of Israel and the promises of God, and the Spirit of God was upon him. God's Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon would see the one in whom the promises of God and the hope of Israel would be fulfilled. And thousands of years, uh, sorry, after thousands of years, now was the time and Simeon would see it. Our God is so kind. I, I think it's one of the things I like to hear most from Christians today, that they know the kindness of God. The Holy Spirit had not only revealed that Simeon would see the Christ, but lead him to the temple courts in the place where women could go. Obviously, Mary and Joseph knew or sensed something about Simeon, for they allowed Simeon to take the baby in his arms. Each phrase he uttered is full of meaning and hope. Sovereign Lord, sovereign of my life, sovereign of Israel, sovereign of all that is, seen and unseen. As you have promised, Simeon holds in his arms the one in whom all God's promises from Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Moses and all the prophets would be fulfilled by this baby in his arms. Now you may dismiss your servant in peace. Simeon is happy to identify as the Lord's servant. He knows the baby he holds is the Prince of Peace and will bring peace on earth and reconcile humankind to its Lord. Simeon had known in his heart and his head the promises of salvation, but now he could say, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I'm touching your salvation. I can smell your salvation. He's here in my arms, which you have prepared in the sight of your people. I wonder if Simeon was thinking of the way God had been preparing Israel for its Messiah, its Christ, for centuries, or or whether Simeon was referring to the things we've seen in Luke's Gospel so far, the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist and of Jesus, 
Mary's song, Zechariah's song, uh, the births of John and Jesus, and the angels appearing to the shepherds. God had come to dwell on earth in this baby, and this baby made and carried in Mary's womb, who they had now seen. And then wonderfully for us, the Holy Spirit leads Simeon to declare that the child is not just the consolation of Israel, but also a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And that's good news for us, as Jesus is our light, where we see God clearly and join in his salvation. Luke paints a beautiful picture of peace and happiness. One that is there for us all. One we can always fall back on, one that would carry Simeon through death. Not that he wished death, but he didn't fear it. And one that will, when the time comes, carry us through death. My father asked for these words to be sung at his funeral. And we did. And it was a great comfort to us. My father was happy to be in heaven with his father as he trusted the sovereign Lord. My father had worshipped the Lord since he was a young boy, first as a choir boy at St Barnabas Church in Gillingham, Kent in England. Uh, he had attended chapel on various naval ships he had served on, and for the last 44 years, of his life, he went to a number of Anglican churches in Sydney, and particularly Christ Church St. Lawrence, down at Railway Square, among other reasons, because they sang Nunc Dimittis, very much like Bob did. Uh, it was a lovely way for my father to say, I know where I'm going, I'm happy to go there, and you can rest assured that I am safe. Great way to speak to us. And we should cherish the beauty of this scene and all the hope caught up in it. But it's less lovely to think of a teenage mother being confronted by an old man in the temple and being told that her newborn child would cause division in Israel, that her first child, who she had taken to the temple to dedicate, would be a sword that would pierce Mary's own soul. We may ask why these words were said only to Mary, whereas immediately before, both Mary and Joseph had marvelled at the first words spoken by Simeon. One reason, perhaps, is that Joseph would be dead by the time that Jesus was crucified. And we know that Mary was there at Golgotha, at Calvary. Uh, Luke doesn't mention it, but he does mention that the women there and the other Gospels make it clear that Mary was there when Jesus died, when Mary saw what no parent wants to see, the death of her own child. We don't know if the young Mary was good at deciphering metaphors. Theologians have struggled with the image of the sword for at least 1,800 years. I came across 10 possible interpretations of this metaphor of the sword that would pierce her heart, and I won't detain you with them now. I think we get some hint of what it means in the next scene in Luke's Gospel, where the 12-year-old Jesus is presented in Jerusalem with his parents for the Feast of Passover, the same feast at which Jesus would be killed 20 or so years later. 
Jesus gets separated from his parents and found in the temple courts, listening to the teachers and asking them questions. And Jesus saying, tellingly, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to come to my father's house? And Luke adds, for his parents did not understand what Jesus was saying to them. They didn't understand the choices that Jesus would have to make to preach the gospel rather than to care for his family, to stand up to the religious and political leaders, to challenge Israel and all people since, to put nothing higher than loving God and loving neighbour, and his choice to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world. Just as Simeon said, the gospel and the actions of Jesus would call the failing Uh, sorry, the falling and rising of many in Israel, and be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And that's what the choices that Jesus made does. The choices Jesus would make to bring salvation to all who want would be a sword that would pierce Mary's own soul. They would bring suffering to her, as suffering comes to many who love and care for people totally devoted to the love of God and neighbour. As suffering comes to those who support in their prayers in other ways, missionaries who go into difficult places. This is the part of the picture of Jesus that God wants us to see. Not to obscure that wonder of Simeon's song, but to see that there is another side as well. We take it that God inspired Luke to write this as much as he inspired Simeon's words to speak uh, his other words and for Luke to record them. This, this is what God wants to see, us to see, both sides. This is part of his revelation of himself and it is neither out of character nor unique However Mary understood the words of Simeon when they were first spoken, Jesus would cause conflict. Yes, he would bring peace between God and humans. He would bring salvation to Jew and Gentile. But there would be conflict. Jesus spent much of his three years of ministry in conflict with Jewish leaders and lawyers. Several times he had to avoid plots to kill him. And just imagine the effect of that on Mary. And ultimately, he would die to achieve his divine mission of salvation. As the theologian Tim Keller says, how does a surgeon bring peace to your body if it has a tumour in it? The surgeon spills blood, cuts you open because that is your path to health. How does a therapist help a downcast, depressed person? Often, She does it by bringing up the past, getting the the patient to confront painful memories and terrible feelings, because through that comes healing. And you may be thinking, hey, Mark, calm down, it's only the second week of January. But it's Jesus who amps it up. In Matthew 10, 34, Jesus says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Uh, He didn't come to cause violence, but his call to faith and allegiance brings conflict. We know Jesus causes conflict between people 
both between people who aren't Christians and people who are, and between people who are Christians and, and other Christians. There is conflict between me and some of our Christian politicians because I do not think their policies and practices reflect Christian ethics. Simeon said that Jesus would cause division, and Jesus said the same thing of himself and explained why. In John 3, 19 to 20, Jesus said, this is the verdict, the light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. No federal ICAC here. And we will come into the light, uh, uh, and those who, who fear the light will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Uh, we all have secrets that we keep from each other. Secret failings and secret likes and dislikes. And often it's better to keep some of those thoughts to ourselves. Part of wisdom is shutting up when our words are unlikely to do good. But at the right time, we need to bring them into God's cleansing, cauterizing, bleaching light, which is why confession and prayer are so important. In Matthew's Gospel, we read these words of Jesus. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Praise God. It is words like these that would be a sword in Mary's soul. But she did not give up. She was there to the bitter, bitter end. She was there at the cross. She didn't carry Jesus' cross, but she saw it, and she was there. And Jesus records Jesus honouring her by asking the beloved disciple John to care for Mary as if she was his own mother. In, in the years ahead, I hope, sorry, in the year ahead, I hope you do take comfort from knowing that God has come to earth to bring salvation and peace with God. That is our bedrock. Whatever happens, nothing can take that away from us. Remember the opening words of Simeon because they are yours. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. May they always be your words, including when you face your own death. But as I've suggested at the beginning, I've been troubled by what the last words of Simeon to Mary mean for me. Will I be worthy? Will I take up my cross? And how should I teach these words? I'm not going to avoid the tension they bring. We probably have a difficult year ahead. And the questions each of us must deal with is how is the gospel of Jesus going to shape the way that we deal with the challenges that lie ahead? Will we be worthy? How will the gospel 
uh, gospel shape how we vote in the federal election? How will it shape how we live and move about until the pandemic finally ends? How will it shape our contributions to reconciliation, climate change, our use and sharing of the world's resources, closing the gap, the place of Australia in the world? The gospel of Jesus speaks into our whole life and we must let the gospel shape our whole life. We must be worthy. And we're not powerless. We have prayer, our voices, common action, our votes, what we do as a church here, our ministries. I, I don't know all the answers, and I need your help to let me deal wisely with these issues, which is why we have church, but we can do these things. Speaking personally, I would much prefer it if our politicians and media heard Christian voices more on reconciliation, climate change, the corruption that is pork barrelling and the like, than on issues like religious discrimination and gender and sexuality. But these other issues may affect you and others more than they do me. But there is a tension here between the peace and good news of the salvation that Jesus brought and his call for us to follow him, whatever failings and risings there may be, to accept that there will be division between Christians and people who aren't Christians and within Christians and within our families and let our actions and words reveal our hearts to be hearts that are shaped and committed to Jesus. I opened with the famous prayer of St Francis. This is another take on it. Lord, make me a channel of disturbance. Where there is apathy, let me provoke. Where there is compliance, let me bring questioning. Where there is silence, may I be a voice. Where there is too much comfort and too little action, grant disruption. Where there are doors closed and hearts locked, grant the willingness to listen. When, law dicta when laws dictate and pain is overlooked, when tradition speaks louder than need, grant that I may seek rather to do justice than to just talk about it. Disturb us, O Lord, to be with as well as for the alienated, to love the unlovable as well as the lovely. Lord, make me a channel of disturbance. Author unknown. Well, we now have a time to reflect upon that tension between peace and disruption and the challenge for us to take up our cross. And we may express our need for God's help in this in the words of our next hymn, Take My Life. Please stand and sing. <laughs>